Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sorbonne Mesa podcast with me, your host, Alan McGuire. We're going to be kicking off our feminist season with an introduction to Spanish feminism. Spanish feminism has taken a different route and has a bit of a different history to its uh, more mainstream Western counterpart. And because of that, in recent years, the Spanish feminist movement has become very popular um, alongside various other feminist movements, mainly in South America. Today with me, I have Elia Romera Figueroa. She's a fourth-year PhD candidate at Duke University. And her research focuses on women singers um, from the 1960s, 70s and 80s in Spain, or what most people know as the last years of Franco's dictatorship and the transition to democracy. Uh, Elia researches the engagement of many of those protest singers with the second wave feminist movement in Spain. At Duke University, uh, she has been a graduate fellow at the Social Movements Lab, directed by Michael Hart and Sandro Mezadra. Her latest open access publication is the focus uh, of the memory of the Spanish Civil War in contemporary music and is titled Voiced Post Memories. Rosalind's Justo as a case study of singing, performing and embodying mourning in Spain. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Elia and I'd also like to thank her for spending some time with me to explore this history. Elia, welcome to Sobre Mesa. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. It's great to be here. Okay, Elia. So uh, Coming up, or around about now, is the 8th of March, the International Women's Day, and it's become a huge event in Spain, uh, especially over the last three or four years. This year is obviously a little bit different. Last year was a little bit controversial. Um, but in recent years, Spanish feminism uh, has really sort of taken the reins of feminism, it seems, around the world. Um, and it's a bit of a so we're going to talk a bit about today, um, you know, how this has come about. So thank you very much for joining me to to explore this. Um, yeah. So when did the feminist movement start in Spain? Really, I'm, I'm really happy we're starting with that question. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, it's going to take me a little bit long to answer, but I will I will try to get there as fast as I can, because, of course, like summarizing um, the history of, of, of the Spanish feminist movement um, takes a little while, but anyway, like there, um, let me think, I, I think that why it's so interesting is that um, it, this really differs from the history of more like canonical uh, feminist histories, such as the one in the US, France, the UK, whatever, where there was a feminist movement way earlier than in Spain. In Spain, you really have to wait until the 20th century and quite honestly, until the 1970s, until you see um, a feminist movement being organized. However, it, would, it wouldn't be fair to say that that's really where we start um, seeing feminist thought and that, that that has a way longer trajectory. And, and that's why I'm worried that I will take long to explain it. But like super quickly, um, I, I could say that like, if we if we if we try to think about literary scholars, right? Where, where do we begin? We begin with the first literary work signed by a woman. So as for right now, many times Leonor Lopez Carrillo de Cordoba is mentioned as that as that first author. That that's kind of a precarious category that will change. But yeah, the Middle Ages might be like religious writing, might be yeah a place to begin. Then if you move to like the golden age, such a famous uh, period for, for Spanish literature, you'll see a lot of um, secular love poetry as well. And, and I was just reading um, a couple of months ago, this book in Spanish is called Tras el Espejo la Musa Escribe. I'm pretty sure it, they, they, yeah, I would say, I would say it's in English as well. Um, I think I saw the title, something like a study on women's poetry of the golden age, something along those lines. And anyway, they have a really great introduction and then you can see the, the writing of people like Sor Violante del Fielo, 
really interesting. Um, if you move to 18th century, we can, um, poetry, I guess, doesn't take um, such a central place in the discussion. And you can see already more like um, essays, philosophical or theoretical essays written, for instance, by Benito Feijó or Josefa Marie Borbon. And discussions are going to really focus at this time uh, around education, um, women's education, why they should receive it, how, etc. Education will remain as a central topic for the 19th century. And, and you'll see how um, female authors are going to start appearing as well on, on journals, on newspapers, um, people like Concepcion Arenal or Emilia Pardo, Pardo Bazán. Um, are going to be some of the great writers um, advoc advocating for for women's right or thinking about um, different issues related to women at the time, right? Anyway, if you get to the 1920s, 1930s, um, around that time, well, women will start having a chance to gather and and for instance, th there will be some public institutions such as um, La Residencia de Señoritas or the, the Liceum Club and, and having the chance to gather and, and be together, that's already a um, great step forward. And already at that period as well, I'm thinking uh, about the what, what could be considered uh, maybe the, the, the first um, expression of a feminist movement. Uh, it was an anarchist organization, and it was it was called Mujeres Libre, uh, uh, Mujeres Libres, uh, Free Women, and they they were going on for 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 as long as they were. So 1936 to 1939. Uh, again, this was this anarchist organization that really might represent the first uh, grassroots grassroot feminist activism. Otherwise, studies really begin um, talking about a movement, again, I'm emphasizing movement, right, uh, on the 1970s. Um, that's when we'll see a nationwide um, and also a long-term um, feminist movement, which is, yeah, it's a great difference from, from other um, canonical Western feminist histories. So uh, they were more attached because uh, there's lots of famous images from women fighting the civil war um they were more attached to like anarchist groups socialist groups the republican groups and and things like that right so there was no there was no explicit feminist movement back then um but more sort of conjoined i suppose yeah, I mean, in in the case of the anarchies, that that's one that's why I mentioned it because it's one of the exceptions. You did have this. It's called Mujeres Libres, Free Woman, and it was um, didn't last too long, if I'm recalling well. It's thirty six to thirty nine, um, but that was a specific. You know, that was a space um, for to worry about women's um, challenges to to go hand by hand with anarchy's um, goals and um, yeah, it was both things, right? But th that's one of the exceptions, like otherwise, as you were saying, um, female leaders were re usually related to other causes, to right. the communist cause, to whatever. Um, yeah, so it's it's until it's on the seventies, which is where my really my work concentrates. That you that we can finally mm. speak about a movement um, right. that is you know like uh, self aware of itself as a feminist movement. So I suppose the big the big thing for the seventies was um, you know Franco's death, which is nine seventy five. Uh, how was it held back? Uh, before we go on from the seventies, though, how was the feminist movement? Uh, held back by the Franco era. Yeah, so I I think it's important to think about um, these continuities in history, right? So the Franco's period is a good example of um, how the history of feminist the history of feminist thought uh, in Spain hasn't followed a, a, a linear. Um, evolution, or I don't know if uh, we mm. can call it that way. Um, and indeed, was so 
during the Spanish Republic, right? Um, it didn't last very long, so it wasn't. It didn't have a lot of time to consolidate some of the feminist leaning reforms that mm. it established. Um, and also, we need to remember that what we see now as feminist, it wasn't always as a result of. It, it was sometimes the result of something else. Um, let me explain. So, for instance, during the Second Republic, civil marriage was approved, um, but this was seen, or some scholars seen that as a um, anti-clerical measure, not explicitly a feminist measure. Mm. Or when World War I starts and Spain needs to send um, more products, it needs more workers, that's not a measure to support female employment. That's a measure just because you need more production. Right. So, so again, like some of the things that we see as feminists uh, from that early period, they were feminist somehow, right? So. Mm. Anyway, it, it, for sure, like um, during the Second Republic, women acquired some rights that were missing, just the right to vote, 1932. Mm -hmm. So some were, some were there. And as, as you were, um, as we were talking about the discontinuities, once Franco uh, gets full control of power, he will um, reestablish the 1889 Civil Code. And this is the law that regulates um, the major aspects of Spanish civil law. Mm -hmm. So it, it implied many decisions, like among many, other, many others, it was um, to treat women as underage citizens again. This was one of the implications to, to, to reestablish this civil code. Um, women needed their father, husbands, uh, brothers to have a written permission to work, to open a bank account or to travel. Um, I mean, I have many more examples, but um, for instance, 1938, so the war wasn't over yet, right? Um, it was getting to the end. And in the Franco areas, divorce law was already repealed. And once the dictatorship start, it's just one after another, like for instance, 1941, um, there was a Franco approval law to forbid and punish abortion and to chase any propaganda in favor of contraceptive, contraceptives. Mm -hmm. um, I always find, I mean, those in some way, I always see them as predictable somehow. Some are, some, some other laws are just completely crazy. And by the, like, I, I always uh, mentioned that in 1944, um, there was this, this law in place that allowed husbands to murder wives and lovers in case of adultery. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's something that will stay throughout the dictatorship. Usually, of course, I mean, I'm mentioning a very extreme, usually you would get jail time, uh, you would go to prison if you committed adultery um, and your husband um, took you to the police, etc. But, you know, it was, it was allowed it like the law would you know so that's something that women had to deal with during the dictatorship until quite late actually wow. and yeah. I, I mean i've my my mother-in-law uh sadly she's not here now but she was alive during the franco period and yeah she used to tell me some horrific stories about not being, yeah, not being allowed to buy a house without her husband's signature. And um, and it seems like it was quite re a repressive age for all women as well, not just, you know, not just poor women or, you know, um, you know, it seemed quite repressive for, for a lot of people. And as well, um, I, I don't, this is a bit of an off, an odd question, but uh, a bit about the, they used to like make women join or young girls join um like it was like franco's version of the girl guides i don't remember what it was called but um, yeah and that's like i don't know could you do you know could you tell yeah. us a bit about that yeah so and, and actually it relates to both of the things you were saying because yes of course all these law were like had repercussions of women poor women, richer women, but there was a very um, curious elite uh, that was 
the, the women of the Seccion Femenina, right? The, the leader of the Seccion Femenina, Pilar Primo de Rivera, had a lot of power um, within the regime. So there were very few, but a few women had actually very strong positions of power within the regime. And I think what you were referring was to El Servicio Social, uh -huh. social service uh, that were like, it was, it was like an equivalent of La Mili of the, the required military service that men yeah. were doing. Is that where you were? Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, I mean, if I recall it well, it was something like you had to, it changed throughout the dictatorship. That's something um, to keep in mind. The requirements were not the same all throughout it, but you had to enroll in these courses. Um, so for example, sewing courses or, and, but not only that, you also had to do some social service. So, I mean, I'm gonna speak about my mom since that's <laughs> close example, but uh, she had to, organize diplomas in this high school for like three years of her life or wow. you know I, I mean maybe the years um but it was just one of the options she had you know like doing some some job in this high school where she organized all the diplomas um so you know there were all kinds of of um of things to do as this example mm. would show right the the thing was just you had to do something for the community. So whether it was working on a high school or I don't know, cooking for um, disadvantaged people. Um, yeah. But like That's very, what yeah, like very family orientated or very like, mm -hmm. like you're very like. Um, yeah, what the regime thought it was female um, oriented. Um, right. Yeah, their idea of womanhood would fit under under this um, this type of of task that oh. they were given to to do by the but yeah, not three years. I think I yeah, that's that's probably too much, too long. Um, I don't think it required that long, but it was yeah. Again, it was changing throughout it throughout the dictatorship and yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, nineteen seventy five comes. Franco dies, you have like the transition, um, the transition for for like a lot of people, I don't know, it seemed like a very messy time in Spain. Um, there's so many different narratives about the transition. It's, it's sort of unbelievable, really. I mean, there's, you know, different left-wing versions, there's different right-wing versions, there's different country and city versions and worker versions and everything. Um, what what how was the transition for for the feminist movement and and you know how did it sort of um, catch up with with all the other feminist movements around the world that hadn't been held back by you know a fascist dictatorship? Yeah, so that's that's my period. That's what I <laughs> where I like to talk most about. So. So I think one thing that we usually forget is that Franco died in 1975, and that that's the same year as International Women's Year. So organized by the United Nations. So so what happened is that the regime really tried to capitalize the events organized throughout this commemoration. It tried to with the Section Femenina, it tried to lead what was going to be the even if you know Franco was dying, but you know he didn't die without sorting it out many things. So this was one of it, right? They tried to to have the public um, the public agenda of what were they were going to do in International Women's Year. Um, but Franco died, so they 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 couldn't. Um, they couldn't really do that uh, fully. They had their own events, but the feminist movement um, managed to, well, it, it managed to get rid of, um, of the regime. So they counter-programmed um, many of those events. And this is really their chance um, with the excuse of International Women's Year to, to go public and to organize themselves. Um, so there, are, there is already from 75 on many yearly, annually um, gatherings. Um, first in Madrid, then there are gonna be two huge ones in Barcelona 
um, las jornada, jornadas internacionales de la dona. Um, so yeah, that's the transition. I, 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 I think as you were saying, there are so many narratives but, and so many things happening at the same time. And one more is what, what was happening to the feminist movement that finally got rid of the clandestine, clandestine, mm. um, clandestine and, and also it, it was too tied to the clandestine political parties, whereas from 75 onwards is going to start um, getting its own space its own, you know, it's, this is one of the big debates of the area. And I mean, I can, I, I can talk a lot more about this, but like the, one of the main things that is going to happen in the feminist movement at this time is that it was called the double or single militancy. Uh -huh. um, many women are going to say, I want to continue my work at the communist party, for instance, But at the same time, I also want to participate in the feminist movement. Whereas the other position is going to be those who only want to, um, who believe that in order for feminist claims to move forward and not to be a slow down con constantly, uh, you need a space only for, for women. And this is really going to divide the feminist movement um, throughout the transition, mm -hmm. right? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's the big years for feminism, like from the 70s to the 80s, that's going to be late 80s, that's going to be their decade. Wow. Yeah. And, how, and how did they catch up with all of the, like, how did, how did, um, how did those periods go for the feminist movement? How did they, how did, how did they manage to catch up in the form of like rights, but also in organization um, with their sort of more, I suppose, you know, the, the other feminist movements in, in other countries that... Yeah, so I think in, in terms of um, organization groups, they were already organizing on the 60s, for instance. That, that's, um, so when you, you think about Francoism, they're always, broadly speaking, these two periods, right? Previous to 59 and post-59. What happens here is that Spain opens up to tourism, so capitalism arrives fully. Um, there are many changes going on throughout the regime. The, re the regime even has to change some of its laws regarding um, the access uh, of women to work. So the regime is already changing some of its um, yeah, laws and protocols, even like moral standards. So just this, as, as the um, student movement or, or the workers' movement started to organize in the 60s, um, likewise, there are going to be some organizations um, for women, right? So mm -hmm. already in the 60s, you're going to have the Women's Association of House Workers, the university women. So it becomes, again, related to some spaces of power, as it could be university, right, like those That had access to to those spaces where maybe not like female workers were, um, but it begins and and on the 70s you have such a it's right it's such a diverse amount of associations uh, like single mothers associations divorced women's associations uh, women lawyers began to organize well. so they're not parties the the feminist party doesn't get founded as a party uh, later on in the transition, once Franco is already um, dead. Um, but, uh, but you have many associations already. And I think the feminist movement is really going to be formed by all of all the women that comes from this association, plus all of those that were active in the clandestine parties and that decide to join a different space, right? Um, and you, what you, you were asking me about the rights, how, how you re, right, reinvert. Um, it's going to be very slowly because precisely the political parties didn't see as a priority always, uh, even the leftist political parties didn't see always as a priority um, many of the feminist um, 
or, or many of the policies that affected, affected women's life. Mm. Um, so for instance, you have to wait until 78 until adultery was finally eliminated as a criminal offense in the Spanish uh, penal code. So what we were talking about, right? It, uh, before you have, it's super late, 78, you know, that's, um, well, super late, I mean, super late yeah. for me, maybe yeah. not at the time, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then until 81, 1981, you, that's when the divorce law was passed in Congress. Um, still, it was, you know, it was designed to make divorce difficult to obtain, but it was, it was, it was there, you know, the, it's important that the law passed. And then on 83, um, there is this, uh, I think is one of the, an important um, step, the Women's Institute, Institute was set up. And this is the first governmental structure devoted especially to foster gender equality. So from this moment onward, um, this institute will represent the main structure in charge of gender equality policies, et cetera. It's already a space where to think um, institutionally, maybe not, but not related to any political party at the same time, right? Um, about what to move forward. It has been an important space until mm -hmm. now, right? It's one of the, the things that was created in the transition and that remains. Um, but some things have to wait a lot longer, like until 85, uh, abortion, you know, um, didn't become legal, even with all kinds of restrictions. They tried to pass it on 83, but it had to wait two full years until the opposition um, finally had to accept the, the reform. So, yeah, I guess, like, you can see that it's from the 70, like since Franco dies until 86, when the feminist movement is more active, all these measures happen little by little, but it's almost a one by one little drops. Um, yeah. Happening. Yeah. yeah, it's slowly. <laughs> and yeah, it sounds very like it wasn't a priority, like wasn't a priority for, you know, half of a, half of the population that were probably quite oppressed during the frankly years really um what you say these like alliances were formed and were there any big splits or anything like that that happened um following the transition or all the way up to the late 80s and the 90s was there any um sort of major debates within feminism that were that had that will maybe still even have effects now yeah, I think that um, there are two main debates that are really like standing out when you think about the period. One is the one we were speaking about before, the double or single militancy. Uh -huh. And that really became um, a major issue once the feminist party is funded by Lydia Falcon. Um, it, it really created a break. I mean, for instance, the the singers I studied, right? I studied female singers that were already active during the Franco's period. They were all in the double milit. Well, they were all. I, I'm pretty sure, up to my research until now, that uh, most of them were on the double militancy. They were mm -hmm. members of a political party, maybe not active members, but they were um, participating in their events going to their demonstrations, singing in their concerts, etc. They were allies with a, a certain political party. Um, and at the same time, they're gonna join the feminist movement. And this is completely out of the question for many, many, many women at the time. So that, that was, you know, a big division. And I think the other big debate was um, equality feminism versus uh, different feminism. Um, and this is not new, like this is, and you can track it down even in, in Spanish thought, this is um, one of the oldest in debates, but it comes back in the 70s. I'm not sure if there was such a conscience that it was an old debate, right? Like I, with Francoism, many bridges were lost and, and I'm not sure if the information was pass, passed along, but 
it comes back and it really divides feminist thinkers between those that want to fight for yeah equality versus those that will stand um, with difference. It will it will slowly but um, it will slowly fra fraction the feminist movement. Um, so what is what do you mean by equality feminism and different feminism? Yeah, so that's a super long debate. So I am I'm going to to be very, not I'm not going to do justice to it, uh -huh. but very broadly, uh, we could say that equality feminism tries to um, advocate to have the same responsibilities and rights between male and women, right? Versus different feminism, who defends the the important to recognize the difference between male and women so for instance and, and understand the positive difference for instance um maternity could be one of them you said earlier about feminist party was set up um who who set this up and and what happened to it yeah it's um her name is lydia falcon uh -huh. she was one of the main um phases of of the feminist movement at the time um she was a member of the communist party first and and then she created her own party and and maybe that didn't have as much repercussion because you know it didn't i'm not sure if it ever made it to the to the congress i would have to you know it never had a big impact anyway mm. on on spanish politics uh, is still in place. Is still they still present themselves to every time to the um, to elections. Mm -hmm. um, but what she had a huge impact on was not the party so much, but her writing. She she wrote many many books and many um, essays um, about her own ideas of. She was you know like she was a thinker of the time, like an important mm -hmm. thinker and. Uh, I guess her main, I, I don't think I can develop a lot on that, but her main idea, what she's most famous for, is that she understood um, gender as a class. So, you know, she you can tell that she comes from a very heavy um, Marxist um, education. She was well-read and she will try to develop her own theory um, of why we need to understand gender as a class. It's again it's um it got everybody talking you can say that it got everybody yeah. uh discussing about why would that work theoretically why why wouldn't um so yeah lydia falcon one of the main figures of the transition and um you've you've already explained sorry about uh like the gains were kind you know like sort of drip fed throughout the 80s um, and then, if, if as, you, as we move into the '90s, uh, I remember reading in, in a few books about you know constant debate over abortion laws. I think being the main debate, um, and that seems to be to be a, a, a thing that the both parties keep on trying to reform and things like that. How does the the feminist movement? uh sort of sit in that era like was there yeah. was, was there more than one feminist movement and and you know what were the feminists doing during the 90s yeah the 90s so well yeah so before i emphasize that 1986 was this decline of the spanish feminist movement um but of course it doesn't completely disappear right um so what I'm thinking here is that for the following 10 years, um, so until 1996, right? Yeah, uh, we'll have na national gender policies in Spain that are gonna be associated with the PSOE. So certain feminist claims are going to become institu institutionalized during this decade. Um, so um, for instance, um, when we think about art, we'll have, I think it's in 93, the first feminist exhibit in the country. It was called 100%. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm remembering this right. I was reading something about this not so long ago. And 
And after 93, we'll have others like in 95, there was one called Territorios Indefinidos. And you see how feminist artists um, with the peso in power are going to start to have a chance to participate in museums, to get funded. Um, so, well, that's more like the institutional side. But if we think about the feminist movement at the time or the different feminist movements uh, in plural, um, we'll appreciate discussions changing, no? So I'm thinking like a new discussion maybe. Um, and I think one of the first times that this was um, debated was around, so not yet the 90s, probably something like 1988, 89, there was this gathering in Santiago de Compostela and the debate there uh, was about prostitution and pornography as violence against women. So, well, this is just, I mean, a new instance I could come with. Um, so I, like a new example um, of, a, of, a, of a discussion that is for sure far from being solved between abolitionists and those who support the regulation of prostitution. However, there are also going to be all debates, right? So we, we are seeing, for instance, the, the discussion between equality uh, and difference feminism is getting, it's getting bitter and it's changing. So... Uh, I was thinking not so long ago, this chapter written by Roberta Johnson, and, and she explains really well how at this time in the 90s, different feminism is going to become, um, there's going to be like a discrepancy between the theory of gender um, equality and the reality uh, of women's life in everyday life, right? So they're going to get disassociated. Um, so, well, her conclusion is that um, equality feminism will seem to have gained officially, like an official victory um, in 2008 with the, with the establishment of the Ministerio de Igualdad, even though it only lasted two years and we have to wait until nowadays to, to have it back in place, right? Um, about the social movement, so I guess, yeah, maybe they were not as loud and organized and as famous as before during the 80s, but certainly many of the, um, certainly they were like setting the grounds for and pushing for important laws that were passed in the early 2000s. Um, probably the most famous, the 2010, when um, the new abortion law, right? Um, allows the termination of pregnancy with no third party intervention during the first 14 weeks of pregnancy, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure those are the terms. Um, so yeah, that would be one of the, a, a little summary of the 90s and the very early 2000s. You know, moving from the UK, I really do see a huge difference. Um, there is, there's hardly a feminist movement in the UK and, and a lot of the time, um, you know, feminist discourse at the moment in the UK and in the US is more around like, um, more against uh, the 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 trans movement, um, which is a completely different show, and and it's a huge debate. Um, but uh, the the feeling that I, the real feeling that I get here from from moving to Spain um, was how positive it is, like um, positive, but also there's like feels like a real need for it as well. Um, and like you said, thank God it's come back, like, it, you know, it declined in 86. Um, but, you know, what has given rise to this? Um, and uh, could you just sort of spe spell it? I don't know which wave it is. I get my waves confused. Uh -huh. I know it's a popular <laughs> thing. Uh, but um, uh, could you just, could you give us an outline of, um, you know, modern day Spanish feminism? Yeah, and, and you're not alone on what, what wave are we on. Uh, I would say we're on the fourth, but that's a very, I like counting and I like organizing, so I might be over um, trying to have these, you know, like very, yeah, organized. Um, anyway, I I see that, I see where you're, where you're saying about the difference right between where you're living there in the in the UK and what's happening in Spain and myself since I'm in the US um, 
I, I've watched this with, with great interest to understand those differences. And, and I think this is one of the things that changes most from this wave to others. Um, this wave or this time that we're living, um, most of the, of the theoretical or, or the philosophical um, background that, that we have in, behind these waves are, is coming from the global south. Like Argentina is producing a great amount of, of I don't know, thinkers and like activists. It's, it's full of a strength. Um, and I'm thinking here about people like Veronica Gago, like Rita Segato. They're publishing and they're being read everywhere. Um, so, so I guess the, um, the strength didn't come from the global north, but it came from the global south. And again, Argentina might be the most um, famous case since Niuna Menos began there, but it really spread throughout Latin America. Um, in other ways, Mexico also with their with the the huge uh, crisis. I don't even know how to call it anymore with feminicides. Um, it's also uh, organizing, and it has a lot of activism that is is become um, worldwide known. But again, what I wanted to say is that Spain, I think, is not really um, Spain had great demonstrations in numbers. Um, but I think it was it was a lot what happened first in Latin America and or maybe you don't have to think about first and second, but it was certainly uh, influences were coming from there mm -hmm. and and the, the demonstrations here in Madrid, you can see you saw them in Italy as well. Um, they were they were really something very different from the past. And I think um, we, one of the one of the things that I found most interesting, and I'm not sure that was even done um, in the UK. I don't know. Maybe you you can tell me. But what I think is different this time is that they're calling for a feminist strike. It's not a worker strike. You know something. What that's what I'm saying about the theory, the philosophical um, background. You know, like they are they're thinking different. They are proposing something else. And so in 2018, I think it was the first one, right? Yeah, my numbers. Um, you have this feminist strike call in Spain and you need to understand what it is first, right? Um, but it was also called in Italy, as I was saying, in Argentina. So you have this like tension between like the global and or the South global, I don't know, and, and the local, right? Because it was also, problems were also very local while you had these global connections and this was happening in many places at the same time and that was really powerful you were also thinking about the specifics like argentina with abortion for instance was really specific to their context um that maybe wasn't as um heavy in spain um but but you could you felt that sorority right um I was in Madrid. It was a really interesting day. I thought it was. How did that come about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you had a president in Catalonia um, the year before. I would say they already started experimenting with what is a feminist strike, and I think the big. The big thing is that they were they were asking to paralyze all different invisible tasks and activities that women usually and historically do in all levels uh, and spaces. So they were calling for like a housework and care strike in the private in the private field, in the private uh, yeah sphere field whatever. Um, they were calling for a labor strike, a consumer strike, a student strike. So they were like different. It wasn't just, you know, like the work, the classical work strike, but they were asking people who usually wouldn't um, participate in an, in a strike to try to try to imagine what what a stopping to work was for them. So I don't know if you remember there were like um, how do you say delantales? They were ah um, oh, the aprons, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That were, was. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, no, I remember being, I was living in the center of Madrid at the time and 
obviously it was it was like uh six months after the um after the catalan referendum so you know all the flags all mm -hmm. the spanish flags came out on the banister on on the balconies uh they were a bit weathered mm -hmm. after six months and then you had um aprons hanging next to the flags uh and some 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 even replaced the flags which i thought was brilliant um but no the the aprons were quite a big thing and i remember um i remember talking to people about this and uh, there's an old article in in el pais and it says um and this is like a survey done by the sociology research center in spain and it was saying that they reckon that every two out of every 10 men in spain do household chores so uh <laughs> yeah i suppose striking mm -hmm. on housework is a really yeah. inventive way of um of, of striking really two out of ten men that's that's i didn't know about that statistic um but at the same time it made me think about this other collective that is um really um well it's almost exclusively um composed by women um, and it's the, the hotel room cleaners. Um, there is this really famous um, group known as Las Kelly's. And, and I think I started following, following them around 2016, I, I wanna say like some years before the, the, the feminist strike. And well, they were organizing um, to advocate for their legal rights is, since they are hotel rooms, they, they, they are really underpaid and with virtually no, no rights. Um, yeah, so that, that would be maybe a precedent, yeah. And well, today, I mean, those discussions are just still like super relevant, like household strike and the care strike um, really brought to the center, yeah, issues that with the pandemic, we, we see even more since the house is really at the very center of our lives, isn't it? Um, and we'll, well, that, that having the house so, so, so at the centers of a life will likely have an impact on the feminist movement in the future. Like I'm thinking, um, I guess I'm thinking in two directions. So like on the one hand, women were already doing most of the worst unpaid work, um, unpaid care work um, prior to, to COVID-19. But uh, with this crisis, gender inequalities are really likely to, to raise. Um, there's a high number of women um, who had to stop their paid work, their paid jobs, um, to take care of, of all the care work. So I'm thinking here from, from taking care of the elders who are most at risk, to becoming house teachers almost, or to just to find food and cook it. Um, even more times a day than before, since, since, yeah, before children were like eating at the school or whatever. And, and on the other hand, I, I think that, I mean, or at least in Spain, we're really facing a new crisis with um, domestic employees. So, so many have been fired as a result, not only of the health crisis, but also of the economical crisis. So I guess both and their collective includes many migrant women um, with no formal contract. So yeah, here, I mean, by domestic employees, I'm, I'm including both cleaning professionals as well as those who have to take care of the elderly. So really um, vulnerable, well, yeah, really precarious situation. Um, I'll, I'll say that really, yeah, the one they are living and, and I'm sure both of this issue will, will have will have a, an important place in, in this year's um, feminist strike in, in the coming up uh, uh, to the marathon. Um, one thing that, yeah, I, one, I saw quite a sad article in the BBC and it was like some, some people were basically living inside someone else's house during the quarantine. Um, and mm -hmm. it's normally always women, isn't it? Um, the cleaners yeah. and the uh in Dardanelles, I think um yeah. we referred to and I suppose that there was a very strange and it's a very um weird debate but you know that there a couple of weeks ago it said um Spain has you know one of the highest rates of unemployed women in in the EU now due to the the coronavirus you know that like the mm -hmm. economic fallout following well, and during the coronavirus 
Um, and lots of people were mainly, um, you know, people sort of just trying to get a rise out of people on, on Twitter, but we're saying, oh, you know, what, what are the Ministry of Equality doing that we've got the highest women's unemployment rate in, um, in, in Europe, but oh, I think it was the second highest actually. Um, mm -hmm. But then I suppose, I mean, I would turn that around and say that just really shows you why we need a, an equality ministry really. Um, so my, my question was gonna be to you, how has the feminist movement uh, influenced not just other movements in Spain, but um, what what gains have been made by this, um, you know, the fourth wave feminism, and what what gains have been made, or what debates have been had, and you know, what are some of the real contemporary issues uh, of of now in Spain for feminists? Yeah, so I think I mean I. I... I don't know if it's over, right? We don't know if it's already, I, I don't want to believe, so I want to believe it's still alive. And like <laughs> um, this year, it will take certainly a different format, but I, let's see, right? Um, if it, if it, um, if it's over or not, but my feeling is that the biggest gain was um, to create the social fabric, to create people getting communicating with other people, connecting. Um, it is not a law, certainly, uh, and certainly legislation is what you maybe want to get out of big movements. And that may come I, in the years, in the follow, following up years, but I think at, at a, a first takeaway that you can get from this movement is, yeah, all the social, all the um, People that are not activists that got engaged and that that's already something that the 15M got, right? You had never participated in politics and then you were there at Seoul. This is 10 years, it's almost 10 years apart, the 15M. And, and, and there is a new generation that maybe didn't experience the 15M but have had their, their own experience now, right? And, and that to me, that's already, you know, like huge, the, the fact that you, Many teenagers got engaged, and yeah, new connections were made. Um, so I, I wouldn't take that for granted. I think that's 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 an important thing that the movement did by itself. Um, as you were you were mentioning before, now we have this um, ministry dedicated um, exclusively to think about um, quality women's rights. So that's. I don't know if a consequence of the movement or not. I, I would say it's likely it's uh, that it's a consequence of the movement. Um, but you have a space and it's a space in power that it's that is um, just focus on that right now. I mean, you may have heard there is this really controversy law they they are trying to to put in place for trans people and I mean the debate there, as you as you said before, it could take another whole podcast. Um, <clears throat> but but you see, it's creating discussion. That's already you know that's already something that maybe without the ministry, maybe without the movement, we wouldn't have. It's creating people to question what do you understand by gender identity? What you know? It's 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 bringing an important debate to the public, and yeah, that's. That's a gain, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose the other um, quite uh, evident gain is that a lot of parties are taking it very seriously now. Like, um, is, is specifically, I know Pedro Sanchez tweets every time, um, you know, someone is murdered um, or they're, and, you know, that's quite a, big debate isn't it and it has been for some time could you tell us a bit about the domestic abuse and you know how how the is the feminist movement in response to this or is it just is it one of the things that has been able to highlight as, as a as a movement yeah so well now that you mentioned domestic abuse domestic abuse you make me think of a of a conceptual debate taking place in Spain, right? So here, violencia domestica, so domestic violence has become a, con a very controversial term um, because of the far-right party books 
um, they use it to imply that gender-based abuse does not exist, right? I hope the not was clear. <laughs> so, so for this reason, the Spanish feminist movement supports um, the use of violencia de género, gender-based violence instead, right? Um, this shows, I guess, um, I mean, this discussion shows or these, yeah, the base, uh, the terminological debates show how central gender-based violence is to the Spanish feminist movement. So now that Box is trying really to, to deny the very existence of patriarchal violence, the feminist react, reaction um, is seeks to make visible in a variety of ways. So both institutionally and from the street. So Institutionally, I mean, it's it's it has already some trajectory. We were talking before about um, the first years uh, of the Ministerio de Igualdad and 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 even earlier since two thousand three. Um, that's I think it's two thousand three. Yeah, the, the the very first time that the Spanish state elaborates official statistics for feminicide. So yeah, you were you're talking now about Pedro Sanchez Twitter, but that's just um, one more measure that has a long, long trajectory of trying to get data and having to try these things um, um, well documented. So, but I guess, yeah, that, that would be like an institution, but like if we think about the protests, um, just reading the banners can give us an idea of this. So if you, the, some of the banners are the most famous ones are ni una menos, so no one less, or mm, the other one would be um, a really famous one is also nos queremos vivas, uh, something like we wanna stay alive. So they, both of them clearly refer to, to gender-based violence, huh? Uh, if you 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 have a podcast about La Manada coming up, right? Yes, I do. Um, I haven't been avoiding the topic of La Manada, but it's just I have a complete episode on the issue coming out in the next couple of weeks. So I hope listeners will join me for that. Often the movement is sort of suffered from, you know, negative stereotyping from the media. You know, Vox Vox call people feminazis. Um, there's always like crazy feminists and all this sort of thing uh, is some quite strong discourse around around it. And, uh, you know, how do you think this affects the movement? Yeah, so as you were saying, every political party had to define itself, right? And except from books, maybe, it's surprising that um, right-wing parties, uh, no matter uh, the ideo ideo ideology, ideology um, they were all calling themselves feminists, and and that's that's a problem, and that's why we we need to um, think a lot about practices and what practices do you consider feminine, and like what take it take it to the detail, right? Because they were all going to to call themselves feminists and that's the portrait that the media also right the media played a, a tricky role during those um demonstrations because they were also giving voice to oh this person is calling themselves feminist now and that doesn't really mean anything right unless you go a bit deeper and you explain what do you mean by feminist and um but so i, I guess the media was um had its role and it's clear that they were going to stereotype or simplify the movement. So I, I guess I'm not so interested on all the negative things they did, but I want to like also emphasize some newspapers that I think did a good job, mm -hmm. uh, right? Because we, it seems like we need, we need to find some reference also, not only the stereotypes, but also what medium can I, look for to find another story at least it doesn't have to be a good story but a different story from what happened and i i would recommend always to go to el salto to contextos to read um at least they're they're part of the story to see how they narrated those those demonstrations and what they left for well for whoever wants to go back and read them yeah, now yeah. in 20 years time right uh -huh. um and it will counter for sure some of those stereotypes that you may find in other newspapers again not about or wrong but to yeah to get a story that i i felt more related when i read what they were 
bathing. Yeah, I think a lot of people could see through the negative stereotypes as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, the they would uh, like if there was a topless protest, then it would be on the news for hours. Uh, compared with some more, like not more important, but more scandalous political corruption that's always ongoing in Spain. Um, and I think people could sort of see through it a bit, really. You know, it's a bit like uh, it, when you when you try to force something too much, it just becomes, you can see the media's agenda, really. Um, I yeah, um, exactly. That's a great, yeah, that's a great point. Of course, people are not, you know, just receiving this media, but they're also mm. interacting and they have their own opinion, the way to see through it. So, yeah, of course, that's, yeah. yeah. An important uh, thing to always remember. Definitely. And um, so I just wanted to ask, what, why are you a feminist? Uh, and, and what what do you think is next for the feminist movement in Spain? I, that's, a, that's you know, like one of those huge questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that how you want me exactly, I mean, how do I want myself to answer? It's, it's hard. Um, I consider myself a feminist because um, I see feminists about change, about the option to, to redefine family, to redefine love, care, uh, friendship, um, understanding of the self, you know, like to, to fight the, for the redistribution of power, etc. right? Those are really theoretical answers I could give you of why being a feminist. Um, I, as I was saying before, I don't think I care too much about, you know, my grandma couldn't consider herself a feminist and in many of her practices, she was. So my, my answer usually, yeah, is, is more, I don't care too much why you say you're a feminist or not. I mean, some answers are more, you know, are, are important, mm. but, but I, to me, the important is how you live. Do you live that way, right? Uh, up for it. Yeah, um, yeah. Are you acting as a feminist? Are you and and how you know? Um, and I got so focused on that question that I, I lost track of the second one. Sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. And and what uh, what is next for the movement? Um, because I think it's done a really. I think some of the, the things we've just been talking about, you know, highlighting domestic abuse is really on the. It's one of the major issues uh, in political debates around election time and. Uh, often in discourse um, and obviously COVID is going to have effects on everybody but it's also going to have major effects uh, on women so uh, I just wondered what do you think is next for the feminist movement and 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 what sort of uh, what direction is it taking? Yeah so I think one of the um... From 2018 to 2019, there were already some important changes that I, I can, I hope to see like the continuation of them. And the one I'm talking about right now is in 2018, uh, sorry, 2018, there were many um, collectives that were a little bit upset about feminism not being transversal enough, intersectional enough. So for instance, not paying attention to migrant women and their challenges and, and so forth, right? So 2019, there were big efforts to try to change that, um, to become more intersectional and not only to be able to say that, but also to have, um, to try to, yeah, to, to, not only to change the discourse, but to to change a little bit the way they were being, um, they were participating, they were voicing themselves, they were having a space, right, for for a variety of um, ways of being a woman and yeah, of of um, problems that a woman could be facing at the same time, right. Um, so that's something like the intersectionality of feminism that in Spain, I feel like it was, you know, it was it was part of the debate and I'm sure it's not something that you can do over the course of one year. It will take time until that becomes, I don't know, incorporated or part, a core part of the movement, right? Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of my prediction, if I had to make any. Um, I've been reading about what are they going to do this year, you know, like what's happening with the pandemic. I myself, I'm living this year in Madrid, and I feel like it's not going to be um, one of those demonstrations that maybe um, happened in the, in the past years. I, I'm seeing that in Valencia, for instance, they are going to have a huge virtual event. So they are trying to gather as many people as possible for you know their their Zoom. It could be also very intense and emotional, I guess, to see thousands and thousands of people getting online. It means uh, it's a completely different type of experience, but it might be also really powerful. We'll see. Thank you for joining me, Elia. Thank you for for the invite and for the talk. Especially, it was a great pleasure to to chat. 